0: We know a new balance patch is coming for Street Fighter V almost certainly this December, so what kind of changes could do the game the most good? Plus, employees at Lab Zero have been on something of an exodus, alleging consistently unprofessional behaviors from owner Mike Z as the reason why. We discuss all of this, plus how to maintain better control and stop doing stupid stuff in high-stakes situations, all on this week's episode of the Event Hubs Podcast.
1: All right, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. I spent the
0: morning playing Valorant, which I have a handful of friends, friends in quotation marks, uh, that recently helped get me into. So I've been playing first person shooters.
1: Yeah, it sounds like that your friends are getting you into a shooter game, and now they're not your friends anymore. So that just, it's yep. unfortunate. That's that's why we, we stick to fighting games, man. This is what we do. Um, yeah, because fighting <laughs> games are so much less toxic. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, there's no way that was not going to get a laugh from me if you said that sentence. So, yeah. um, Plenty of toxicity going on, actually, and actually some with the uh, creator of Skullgirls going on right now. Can you go ahead and tell our listeners what's what's happening there?
0: Yeah, so I don't think we need to dwell too long on this because there isn't too much uh, actual news to report about it yet, but the uh, the short of it is that Mike Z from Lab Zero Games, the creators of both Skullgirls and Indivisible, he has been rubbing people the wrong way and a handful of staff members have resigned, um, citing that he's just been an unprofessional and um, somewhat, uh, some allegations of, of sexual harassment, things along those lines. And um, this has been something that's sort of been brewing over the last couple of months. Mike Z made headlines um, a few months ago after he made a, uh, a poor taste joke referencing the George Floyd um, incident. And then shortly thereafter also um, uh, had a, an interaction, a private interaction with a Twitch streamer uh, come to light. She posted it because it was very awkward and somewhat sexual in nature. And there was some flack for that. Well, those incidents got the Lab Zero staff, and this is according to their statements, discussing more internally, and it, apparently it's, they're saying that there are more and more instances like this. Um, when they put their notes together, they found that it's not just a uh, kind
1: of isolated incident. And so there's been yeah. a call. Uh, I, oh, I want oh, to jump ahead. in, actually, on that note and just say that we've had uh, multiple encounters with Mike Z over the years, and mm-hmm. I do take issue with people saying, hey, it just really now came to light that we saw this. It's like, look this guy leads your company. Uh, He is a very, very, very talented programmer. Um, He's very bright. He's also extremely abrasive. And anyone saying like, hey, you know, we had no idea about this. And they're not saying that. They're saying like the patterns emerged more firmly, right? Uh, Look, I haven't had as many interactions as most other people have had with this guy, uh, and uh, and our staff has not. But we've had plenty with him, you know, uh, plenty enough like uh, to sure. get a good idea of his personality. And I really do take issue with saying like you know this blindsided anyone. And again, I no one's saying that, but it's also a little bit of like some option selects kind of being thrown in here of like oh you know like uh, man we had no idea he was this bad. And it's there's truth to that, but that's not the whole freaking truth. And, and I again I. If you see someone continuously being highly abrasive on social media and other places, and and it's the McDonald's CEO, this is you know completely different from the Skullgirls and Lab Zero teams. I get that. And I know there's great people who work at Lab Zero who have no, you know, no discernible public issues at all. You know, I'm I'm just saying like it's but anyway, so the McDonald's CEO. Uh, he got in trouble for like sexting his like employees and other stuff like that, and having sex with them and other stuff. And, and he he comes back out and he's like, well, you know, the, our board members and our McDonald's like they should have known that. Like it should have been you know like it should have been readily obvious that was happening and stuff. And he's like, but then they let me get away with it and other stuff. And it's like, there's mm-hmm. also some truth to that. Like you kind of know. You know who people are to some degree behind the scenes, and whether you choose choose to follow up on that or just turn a blind eye to it because they're making you a lot of money. That's on your own conscience, and I'm not saying hey, you know, we need to go after these Lab Zero employees and other stuff and just you know nail them to the wall too. I'm not saying that, but it does. The message falls a little flat to me considering how public Mike Z's statements have been, how many things he's done over the years that have been very off color. Uh, and and now it just you know now it becomes public and now they go after him type thing and it's it, it's it's a little bit of mm, like okay I will
0: yeah I'll give you for sure that the like our culture and our society has been going through some major changes when it comes to conduct and what people accept versus what they don't there, I think a lot more things were uh, sort of just brushed aside or cast aside in um in more recent times and that has changed and so yeah you can't really talk about this without acknowledging that that's the case um but it was uh let's see here i want to get this all right the uh, well the former lead animator and art director mario cartwright um, she posted up a, uh, a statement along with a handful of others. and there's just a line in there that I think captures um, what they're saying here pretty well. And And it's something that uh, like you said, we've had something of a relationship and it's with Mike Z or not even a relationship, but just a, you know a communication back and forth every so often when usually when there's a complaint about something but um, and, and it's certainly rubbed the wrong way, right And uh, she said it's not, well mike is kind of a jerk but he's not a bad guy anymore it's mike is not the person we thought he was Mm -hmm. and that sounds like the that that sounds pretty consistent in the statements that are brought up here uh so i mean lab zero is now taking action and and is deciding to um to really force uh, mike z to uh well the the idea is to get them to leave because Um, Again, this is just through these statements. And so, um, you know, you kind of got to take this a little bit with a grain of salt. But the idea is that uh, Mike is now 100% owner of the company. And the company decided that they wanted to break that up and and not have Mike be 100% owner. And he was on board with that for a while. And then there was some... uh, some, tumultuous exchanges and then now he's not on board with that and he says anyone that doesn't agree with what how things are can leave after the 31st or and so people are leaving and uh and we don't know all of the details so we don't want to dive in too quickly but Lab Zero employees are leaving, they're citing um, Mike Z as the reason why, and uh, and the story's up there with links to all of the statements on the front page, so um, I'd encourage people to go and if they haven't read it, read it for themselves and kind of uh, get as much information as you possibly can. To, um, on, on a sensitive sort of subject
1: like this. Yeah, it's it's alleged behavior. I mean, we don't know one way or the other what he was or was not doing. We only know the stuff that's out there publicly. Uh, but I will mention that uh, Joey Cuellar, um, Mr. Wizard, the the former uh, head of uh, Shuriken or one of the former heads of Shuriken.com and then uh, obviously Evo, uh, he had numerous things through the years also kind of come out there and people <laughs> – Yes. Kind of the shock and the, I can't believe this happened. It's like, really? You can't believe this happened? You 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 had no idea. You've never heard rumors of this kind of stuff. Like, because I certainly heard them. Now, if I had proof, uh, that that crap would have been up there on the front page of Event hubs. So, like, I would have been like, hey, this is, you know, I didn't have proof. I don't know. I heard things. And you can't ruin someone's life by putting an article up there like that and saying all these allegations and other things. One, I'd be liable. Um Yeah. And then, too, it's just like that's not OK to do. Like that's morally not all right. But again, it's, it's it's some of the messaging surrounding this stuff is really what I take issue with. It's like, hey, you know what? You are partially culpable here, too. I'm not saying you're as culpable as a person who did, you know, uh, it, it, these if these allegations are true, I'm not saying you're as culpable as that person. But like you have some responsibility to report these people and to get them out of there when you know this stuff is happening. And that's really what I take issue with is people just kind of turning a blind eye until it blows up publicly. It's like, it shouldn't have taken this like you had some idea of this before, like it's okay to come out, and I, I get it, you know, especially at video game companies. People, uh, the, the retribution, like, a like you know, getting blacklisted and other that's very much a thing, you know. You come mm. out publicly and it's like, hey, hey, guess what, you're not ever getting another job again, you know, and other stuff, like, but it's 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 a tough line to walk, is what I'm getting at. Um, but just some of the like I said, some of the messaging that has surrounded these these announcements, these things happening has really bothered me because it's like just people not taking any responsibility whatsoever uh, for stuff they, they clearly knew was an issue. You know so, yeah,
0: yeah, and and this is not the newest story as you were kind of getting at with Mr. Wizard or, or Joey Cuellar. Um, and it's also the, the type of stories we're hearing coming out of things like in Hollywood and Weinstein and Cosby. Is like there's been a lot of rumblings of a lot of bad behavior, but everyone kind of just either turned a blind eye. And it gets back to what I was saying about how our kind of culture and our society has uh, sort of changed where like where the line is, where action should be taken. And so, I also, you know, just to 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 take the other side a little bit Mm -hmm. i also look at it and say well we are also in a time of change where this wasn't really the way you did it before but now it's become the way you did it and like to what degree do we so so i can you know give and you're not wrong you know that but i do see like why there would be some hesitation and why people would be unsure as to whether or not to say something or not but uh yeah, yeah no, it's and, a sticky situation, not fun for anybody.
1: You're right. And, and it's, it's you know, uh, I know that um, uh, you watched, like, Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure the other day. And they and have the first a l-
0: drive-in movie experience that I've ever had, yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: and they have a lot of homophobic jokes that would not be okay in this, you know, day and age. And yep. I'm sure, you know, we've got the third movie coming out like any day now, and and I'm sure that they'll address that on some level. Uh, I don't think either of, you know, Canada Reeves or, or Bill Winters are um, um, Alex Winters, I'm sorry. Alex mm-hmm. Winters is, um, uh, you know, has issues with, with gay people. Uh, it was, a very different time a very different place it's like than that. 89 or something yeah like that, and just like some of the jokes and other things that that flew back then do not fly now at all you know and we realize that those are hurtful very harmful to people and so you're right it's it, that that is very much a side to it but yeah it's there's some middle ground i think between both of our sides that we're saying that we probably should be better about and it's just a little bit too much of a, a cover-up culture that we see still um with some people and uh but i get it i get the reasons why um yeah so. There is
0: a little bit of good news to come out of this particular story, uh, in that well, you go okay. So there's a lot of um, a lot of turbulence going on for Lab Zero, and uh, let's not forget that there are entire you know communities, the Skullgirls community, mm-hmm. um, that you know enjoys playing this game. And there's a they recently announced that there's a new character, Annie, coming first to Skullgirls Mobile, and then to the uh, to Skullgirls second encore, you know Skullgirls proper, you might say. And it's like, is that still going? And it's it's a little up in the air. But they have come out and announced that they uh, do plan to move forward. And um, and so this isn't necessarily just the end for Lab Zero. There's a lot of course up in the air. Um, but Autumn Games and Hidden Variable are taking over development of Schoolgirls following the resignation of um, you know the handful of people that have left Lab Zero. So. Yeah. Uh, it's not the it's not a death note for for Skullgirls necessarily, so that's a good thing, and hopefully that that community can continue to enjoy that game, and and, um, and things can move forward, and uh, and everything will be good eventually.
1: Yeah, it's, they've done some really nice work with the game. It's so artistic, and I remember yeah, just back beautiful. when it came out, man, it just was very different. And so there, there's some cool stuff going on there. Uh, I do wish you know the development team the best. I will say this about video game developers, as they are an extremely passionate and hardworking uh uh, a group of people, and, and I'm sure Autumn Games, uh, the former Lab Zero staff members, um, Hidden Variable, the, they're no exceptions, sir. You know, it, it's they do this stuff because they love it, and man, do they tend to put in just crazy hours and other stuff. Um, and you know, it's I, I'm calling out one thing, but overall, I have so much freaking respect for any game developer out there that puts out a quality product. And Skullgirls is definitely a high quality product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have hell of respect. For those people out there, it's just, you know, trying to we're trying to hold people as accountable as we can just because, you know, you do one thing great doesn't mean like, you know, there isn't room for improvement in this other respect Uh, is basically what I'm getting at here. Um, But uh, but there it is. There it is. All right. So moving on, uh, we wanted to talk about Street Fighter V getting another balance update here in winter 2020, which has to mean December because that's the only winter month left here in 2020. And I wanted to discuss a few things we'd like to see. This is not an exhaustive list yet. That's coming later on with Dream King and Majin Tenshitan hopefully joining us. But uh, for now, I want to talk about a few sore spots we feel like the game still has. Mm-hmm. And getting started here, we'll start with our number one character. That is Akuma and his EX Fireball. This thing has been a get-out-of-jail-free card by, used by Tokito and Samurai even in tournament. These guys will get into a bad spot defensively and throw it out there and say, Hope this works. And if it does, great. And if it doesn't, well, hey, they're safe from harm. It's definitely not about air ex fireball. Or just air ex fireball. fireball. Hopefully, okay, I said air that EX correctly. Fireball. Yeah, his yeah. air ex fireball. Um. Anyway, it's it's definitely not on the level of a safe exdp, but it's not entirely removed from that either. This is a really <laughs> stupid good option for a character who does not need it. Uh, this tech wasn't used as much in previous seasons, uh, but we're seeing it a lot here now in season five. I'd still also like to see Akuma's EX Demon Flip being slower too. Just the fact that Akuma players can kind of use this as an EX reversal when Akuma has an EX DP for that purpose is ridiculous. It has six frames of startup on it. Let's double that to something like 12 so that it's really hard to use this as a wake-up move. EX Demon Flip should not be a wake-up move. It is not designed for that purpose. Now, now yeah.
0: people are going to immediately react to that and say, well, if you have meaties, it's not. And I will respond to that and say, you're not wrong, but also, you're not accurate, Yeah. as, uh, as a, a great mind once said. And to that, I mean, especially in Street Fighter Five. And and this has been something that we've been ex- been specifically exploring as you, Steven, and I have been playing sets here on our, our new accounts and really trying to grind and and soft or, you know smoothing out the edges and understand the meta of this game, which is it's still Street Fighter, but it's different than other Street Fighter games, and you have to get rid of some of your expectations um, as you transfer through. to game so anyways it comes back to yeah well akuma can't wake up and do this move because if you have your meaties on point then it'll get stuffed every time and yes that's true but the way this game works with the intent driven uh, nature behind it you have to pick your spots at certain um, places and certain junctures and you just kind of have to go with things sometimes and especially with a character that has both a three frame normal which is kind of the same argument and you just wake up with that button every time and, and kind of achieve a similar result um, but or an, an invincible DP, you have to consider those things. And of the options that you have in putting pressure on Akuma on his wake up, you have to consider everything, and you can never take, as as you've been saying to uh, to me, any option off the table, even the most obvious ones. Um, sometimes you're just using them to manipulate your opponent's thought process more than actually trying to get damage and mileage out of them. But you have to keep everything on the table at all times. And so because the way Street Fighter V, because it runs in that sort of vein, some of these options that are, yes, technically they're unsafe, or technically they have a lot of startup and they could get stuffed on wake up, Yeah, well, they work against a handful of the options that you need to continue to keep on the table to make sure that your opponent has to cycle through things. Because if they don't have to cycle and what they're doing is working, you're just going to lose 10 times out of 10. Right, mm-hmm. and so because that's the way this game works, moves like this tend to be more effective. Now, if someone's just waking up with Ex uh, Demon Flip on wake up every time, yes, they're going to get blown up. But there is a legitimate strategy at higher levels where you don't take anything off the table, even moves that have you know startup and and whatnot on your wake up, because the the way the revolving kind of uh, uh, doors of options that you always have to keep everything on the table, and so this is going to work some of the time and it works too
1: well for what it gives you is probably the uh, the next part of that akuma has too many freaking options it's a, it's yeah. it's this character is just uh empire state building sized tool like swiss army knife kind of thing of like whatever whatever you can pretty much think of he probably has and it's just he's very hard to contend with, so you have to dial back some of these options or he's going to continue to be the hands-down number one character in this game. And we're talking about realistic ways to nerf this guy so that, you know, you you want to keep the fun factor of Akuma. Like, I actually don't even mind watching Akuma up on, you know, the highest levels of play. Like, when Samurai Tokido are playing him, it's like... I know I'm watching a master level player use this character, and that is enjoyable to me. You know what I don't like is watching Samurai and Tokido flail with EX fireballs, air EX fireballs, over and over and over again because they're in a very bad defensive spot, and just getting out of jail free and just getting unearned wins. They they just. Oh, it's aggravating. It's like, dude, you yeah. you should have lost there. And, and you have a get-out-of-jail-free move that is stupidly designed. And Capcom's done a lot of great design work here, but these moves are stupidly designed in that they just enable options that should not exist.
0: Yeah, he just needs... I, I would like to put on the other end of that to, to deter people from doing it. You're saying you want to have more startup. I want that thing to make Akuma stumble when he hits the ground. You know, <laughs> I, so that I he has evaluate. to actually give a crap about it. And he can't just toss it out there because if it doesn't work at least where he's where he's using it offensively, he's going to get punished for it. But yeah, a lot of that stuff is built into the character, the automatic side switch out of the corner. Um, I mean his his ability to hit confirm almost regardless of distance for a lot of his uh, bread and butter combos that lead into great situations uh this is all stuff we've sort of covered before but hey it's still there and it's still doing a number on the uh on everybody else that's below him so and there's an argument there is an argument that uh and it's a pretty uh uh, pretty common one right now is that Seth is actually the best character in the game. I don't know if Seth was on your list of characters to talk about here because you haven't been as impressed with the character as most others, although you have um, acknowledged that, that Seth's better than you initially thought they were, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but no, Akuma, mean, way the heck up there yeah. and doesn't need to be, he can be up there, he can be number one, but he doesn't need to be number one plus a whole head and shoulders ahead of most everybody else.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty much like, I'm, I'm hearing a few people argue that Seth is, or, uh, that Akuma is not number one, but it's pretty much like people who want to put Seth up there and then that's pretty much Akuma players. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I take a big issue with that, but I, I will say that Capcom has nerfed EX Demon Flip in both season four and five. It's not like they they saw this move and said, hey, let's do nothing they just unfortunately have not been able to do enough I'm not saying it's a gigantic problem I am saying that it's still a little too good for you know how much risk Akuma has to put out there he has an EXDP to reverse the momentum in matchups and that is a huge tool we know in this game but it's such a powerful tool Capcom has made the crush counter system to knock the crap out of that if you if you mess up on it and Mm -hmm. they realize how powerful of a tool that is and just reversing momentum in this game is gigantic they've said it many times uh, again, there are so many examples of it. So you don't want to give Akuma a two tools that can do that and do it fairly safely. That is a really bad design thing to have happen for this character, and you want to take those away. So, yes. yeah, uh, that that's pretty much what I've got on Akuma. I mean, if, you know, if they reduce his health even further, like another 25, I would not be too upset about it. Um, I, I think there's a number of ways you can tweak down the character and he's still going to be great. He's still going to be a top five character pretty much no matter what, unless they just decide to, you know, do massive overhauls to him. But at this point in time, I don't think that's happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um- I did wanna bring up at least briefly Seth because I watched Frame Advantage's uh, video breaking down why they think Seth is the best character in the game and, uh, and I respect those guys, you know, Tyrant yep. Packs. They they know what's up. And uh, they do some pretty good content. Their, their stuff is worth watching. Whether you're a Dragon Ball Fighters player or you're a Street Fighter player, they've got some good stuff for you. But they did, recently did a video breaking down Seth's tools. Now, I'll admit that I haven't seen a ton of Seth play um, in, in tournament where I've I've been able to really garner like a good idea. And I've only played a handful of them online, maybe like a total of 30 matches. So I'm still no expert when it comes to Seth. But they do highlight a lot of Seth's tools in sort of in vacuums. Mm -hmm. And just even in vacuums, the first place that my mind went was this looks like one of those characters that you see uh, especially done in MOBAs or in older Mortal Kombat titles where they're a DLC fighter that's released and they're, they're just... It's clear that the developers have made them especially good to encourage people to play. Now, I don't know that Capcom did that here with Seth. I'm not so sure, but that was my first gut reaction as these, uh, as Tyrant Packs highlighted all of these different tools from the way that you can use the um, like the kind of Makoto Crescent Kick in the air. It's essentially sort of a dive kick to the corner carry to the damage output potential to how safe Seth can make things to the setups. Now, those are all in the vacuum, and then I think, well, put this in the hands of a pro and have them make all of these things work with each other and in in harmony and you really have an incredibly strong character now we've seen that kind of a presentation and then when you actually put it out there in the wild and you see what happens in tournament it just doesn't come together like you would imagine it would on paper and i really haven't seen it come together like that yet so that's where my reservation is but there is a lot that seth has going for him and it feels like there's plenty of places where uh if we're doing a balance patch Capcom could dial them back in some significant ways still maintain everything that the character is but not give them just like these brain dead situations where they've got like you know it's like they're playing rock paper scissors with two options in a lot of scenarios and like you just don't want that unless unless everybody has that and then it's a different conversation but you kind of have to you kind of have to design these guys uh, relative to your to your to the rest of your cast. And when they stand out so far as having so many advantages in similar avenues, but they're just, they're better at this, and they're better at this, and they're better at this, and except for being better than Akuma, they're better than everybody else at this. It's just not fun
1: yeah I, I i a character we're going to get into here is g and he is someone on paper and then in some practices we felt very similarly to but he also has not produced the results and on the note of Seth, the last three cpt tournaments um like so at the uh he was not in the top eight of the north american tournament uh there was one player Momochi, in the top eight of the um the asia tournament and then uh in the cpt um uh, for, what is it, Central America, there was a, a Seth sub in there. So, and now you, you look at the same stuff for Akuma. Akuma got second, uh, and then he got um, a fourth, you know. And, and so if you're comparing, again, it's this is my argument against Seth being that top, end of a character is like his results akuma's results just completely dwarf what seth is doing right now and if seth is that good and how many people are playing that character i think the results would be a bit better at this moment in time but that character is also very technical so we'll see it's it's a bit of there's enough Uh, ambiguity with with seth right now how good they are that i i don't think that the case for for just nerfing them into the ground is there yet you know um and obviously the balance patch is coming in december um i I think we have enough time here to kind of figure that out a little bit more with them the evidence has been there for several seasons about akuma you know like it's it's so much easier to put Akuma as a number one character in this game because we've had years of this you know uh, if you could argue decades of this with Akuma's you know history in fighting games right but I, I'm just trying to say Street Fighter V overall uh, I, I don't think there's an argument for how uh, get. there's not an argument against how good Akuma is right now where I still think one exists for Seth right now based on results alone.
0: Yeah to me it's just if there's some like kind of brain dead or easy situations that they can routinely get into where they're at the clear advantage and Um, again if it's like a rock paper scissors scenario and they automatically get two items or two of those options covered just because of the way things play out or the distance Mm -hmm. or the priority or whatever it is that's an easy place to say maybe you only get one there and you have to put a little more thought into things because most other characters don't get that as much as as much as you do like that's a way to balance a game i think from a pretty
1: basic level where um, there's
0: not a ton of room for
1: error. Yeah, I, 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 you always wonder about like the the hidden counters that people don't know about, though. You know, like you think something is so good, and again, the character we're going to get into, like, gee, we saw some of his V trigger one mi- mix-ups and said, hey, there's no you know counterable way, and it's like, oh well, now there's like three counters to it. Uh, for example, his flip kick. Um, I know that 801 Strider, and I guess we'll get into G now. I was going to save him here for a bit, but um, 801 Strider in the North American tournament that just happened, uh, his success rate for flip kicks, which I know is a move that you personally hate, but he had like a 10% success rate against top players using a flip kick uh, in like the top 16 of the tournament. It was, it was abysmal. Like I never have seen a G player get punished as much, and we know how good Strider is with the spacing and how very little YOLO he does. Like I it was i have never seen flip kick and punish that much before in my life they were just ready he was for doing it. it too close uh I mean, he's getting hit out of it or he's whiffing all things all, all all those things they were just ready and prepared for flip kick to deal with it in, in a way that i have never seen before and, and again i know that that move has been a personal uh demon for you and, and just i i so i i'm not completely disagreeing with what you say if there's something super obvious like you know let's take care of it you know with someone that's a very powerful character like Seth but like also we do need to give the community a bit of time to kind of come up with organic counters on their own and see how truly good it is because sometimes things can look very very powerful on paper and then you you get in there and it's like, oh, yeah, there's like five counters for it I never even saw.
0: I can agree with that. But when it comes down to uh, part of this discussion is simply about or can be uh, kind of measured by tournament success and high level play success and where they place in tournaments and, and things along those lines. But it can also just be about the general design of a move being Inappropriate unfun taking away from like the unspoken but widely agreed upon sort of flow that a game was gonna have And and I need to get specific pretty quickly here because this is very generalized But my problem with Flipkick more than anything else was that it seemed to serve a purpose that it wasn't intended to have And that was it's an anti air if it's like if I can get G to commit to something here in the neutral And I jump forward that should be my punish just generally speaking unless he's doing an anti air move this move Serves a purpose of going through fireballs and as a poke and as a combo. So now, if you're also able to use it in, and when G players are using it, they're usually doing so to just try to poke me to catch me um you know in the neutral and then so my forward jump still getting clipped by it and then they're able to pick that up a lot of times and continue Mm -hmm. a whole combo into the corner where that i don't think that that move was designed to be an anti-air it just happens to be one that you can use in that spot while you're using it for something else and hey oh cool it caught the other option i guess that's uh Two of my rock, paper, scissors options are covered by this. And if that wasn't the intent, I think that it should be altered. So with that move, that's my issue with it. With v- no, I get one- that.
1: I get that. So we'll get into V-Trigger 1 here in a second. But but now watching the tournament, watching the CPT North, Northwest tournament here, Strider was not able to do that practically at all. Like that, you know, sometimes a happy accident, and that's frustrating, but... He was not successful with that move practically. I could not believe how abysmal he was with that. How does that... How does that So factor it sounds in like you? there there is a
0: a way of approaching the matchup that the pros seem to have figured out, yes. where it takes that sort of option off the table in a significant way, and that's good, and that is a counter to it. But still, the very fact that that uh, and I mean, most of us are not on that level, and we are experienced. Like we're the we're the crowd, man, that you got to please, and um, so some of the onus is yeah, just like there are ways around it, but just because there technically are ways around it. I still think that you could improperly or, or poorly design something where it does what you're not intending it to do. And if that's the case, I think, and you have the opportunity to make it do exactly what you intended it to do or exactly what it what it should do based on the unwritten rules of the game, more or less, then I think you should
1: tweak it to be that. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, we'll, we'll get into v 1 now, and I think that... Both you and I have have softened our stance a bit on how good we think G is overall. Uh, I think that we had him up there, you know, close to number one, our number one in the game um, uh, for a bit. But I I think more closer to, like, number two usually because, again, behind Akuma. Um, But uh, I think that his – how robbery his V-trigger one feels has to be changed. And – He's just like you, you get into the V trigger one situation and this guy can get right now uh, like just looking at the frame data alone like when he activates you know uh, V trigger one he can get out 10 souped up V trigger one moves in reality that's really closer to like eight or nine with him walking around and such because he's not just spamming you know his his V trigger one moves over and over again right. Yeah. But that's still a ton of moves you have to deal with when he's in V-Trigger one. And and that thing just seems to never end. And, and it has ridiculous corner carry, it has ridiculous power. Like he hits you with one of those, like if you've got 60% life, you've got maybe one hit left in you, or, you know, one little, you know, exchange left in you. Oh, and then stun and then dead. Oh my gosh, it's crazy.
0: But so, John,
1: people have figured out ways to deal with this. They have. Uh, now, as you, as you're the point you brought up, and I don't disagree with you on it's like it still feels too robbery um and and so what i would do to alter it is i would cut this down by about 30 percent in terms of of so he can do a maximum of 10 moves like in a perfect scenario get about eight or nine in reality um with this cutting about 30 percent he would have a maximum of seven moves instead of 10 uh which would in reality give him about five or six when he's in v-trigger one and that still gives G two very excellent setups, which is pretty typical with a like a, a three-bar V-trigger. You activate it and you typically get like two really good setups the opponent just kind of has to hold. Um, and if you get them, like you can, you know, drain 50-60% of their life, which again I'm not fond of, but that is Street Fighter V, right? G seems to currently get about three of those. And, and it's just like you're just sitting there holding mix-ups all day long that are just terribly disadvantaged for you and it's just it feels so robbery when he when he uh activates his v-tricker one so i would again as you say it's it's G is still really good. I don't think there's anyone that's that's um, reasonably putting them out of the, like their top 10 or something like that. I know some people in Japan <laughs> where the land of like crack tier lists, to like are freaking prominent. I, I, I yeah. don't know what kind of crack they're smoking over in Japan when they put together their tier list. But it's it's a very interesting like we continue to post it because it's it's freaking hilarious, man. Um, but I, I I don't see too many people outside of Japan putting G out of their top 10. He's still really good, and the V Trigger 1 is a huge part of that. Most people seem to agree with that. Like, you know, there, there's differing opinions on, on Flipkick, as we just got into, but V Trigger 1 is, seems to be kind of uh, not an argument, right? So, again, cutting it down by 30%, I think dramatically decreases the robbery factor. I look a lot at, like, you know, Balrog uh, in season 2, how robbery he was back then. Uh, and they just toned it down, and he's ended up in a pretty good spot. And that's similar to what I'd like to see with g
0: yes it, i am i can make it concise it's just even though there are answers to it as we've figured out or there are more answers than we initially thought it still is a problem because it takes away from the game that you want to play it turns the game into something uh, approximating something you don't want to play as much and you're not having fun doing it and you're not having fun um and it's not just because you're losing it's because it's just so overpowered that it's it's no longer a, a fun to try to beat it you know in in certain respects and then like that's where you run into issues and it's like and you compare it to vega gets one rose and he throws. He gets one rose, and that can lead into a pretty nice combo. Now that they've made it as such, but you see that as as a V trigger, and you go, you know what? I wish that the majority of characters were more like Vega, where V trigger gave them access to maybe one awesome sequence for a comeback, or maybe one like crazy advantage, you know, a uh, scenario, but. Some of these characters, you look at Vega, he gets one rose, but all these other characters can do, you know, G can low rush into activate and then low rush into fireball to make it safe five times. And if any of them hit, well, good job. You're in the corner and you're risking death. It's like, that's such an obvious imbalance that you go, you, like I was saying earlier, you wanna balance these things according to the general rest of your population. And some characters V-Triggers give them so many sudden out of nowhere, because you can't do a lot of this stuff out of V-Trigger, right? But they give it gives us a whole other case of tools that are ridiculously good, often brain dead, and, and it's it's still slowing things down. Now, Capcom has addressed V-Triggers a couple times. I think they need to do it more. And it's not across the board, it's not everybody. Uh, but and, and I know people are like, well, don't nerf only buff. No, man, nerf some of this stuff so that you have to actually use your character's tools that are more honest and legit to
1: get to the win. Yeah. Funny that you bring up the the whole, you know, uh, only buff, never nerf. We'll get into that here in a second. But uh, mm-hmm. I do want to follow up and say that. Um, uh if this makes G too weak overall, and I I think both you and I have been you know pretty big fans of this character overall, just not his V trigger. Really, that's not the that's not the issue. Uh, his V trigger is the issue. Of, like his fundamental design is actually very cool. Like his presidentiality, like meters and all that. Like how yeah, he has I can to.
0: appreciate. Yes. The yeah. How he works and he's intriguing and he's interesting and and yeah, there is a lot that is uh, interesting and, and I would say even balanced about him. Yes. But this is such a
1: sore thumb that sticks out that just overshadows all of it. Exactly. So I I think that if Capcom's afraid of making him. Too too weak and they really want to showcase the character who has not gotten great results like his hype has been far more than his results but one of the ways you can do that is you potentially uh, you give him more health and you give him maybe potentially more stun uh, and you let him live through more and you end up in a better spot with the character being less robbery based, but still pretty darn good. Um, so again, and maybe a 30% reduction is V trigger time makes him too weak. Like he doesn't get the full two mix mix-ups that he probably should get. Right. So maybe you make it 25, 20, whatever it happens to be. There's a lot of things you can do to just tone down like the hardcore robbery aspects of this character. And, and that's one thing I think that's pretty much universal with most players. Like, it's, G, it's like, dude, this is a hardcore robbery character and you know we've just seen it time and time again no one really likes the hardcore robbery characters unless you play them right like it's 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 very <laughs> well, much everyone I,
0: loves explore you know getting the riches and then the spoils of it but yes
1: yeah. it's and
0: and robbery is so often tied to v-trigger just because it's going to come later in the round and it's going to introduce a new whole factor to things but uh, to to sum it all up and I'm, I'm on the verge now of writing a story about this is that um, if there's one thing that I want to see changed in Street Fighter V, it's that the most powerful V-triggers need to be reduced in certain ways. And sometimes it's specific, like how much damage is done or how much stun output or whatever. Sometimes it's just the, the amount of use that a character gets out of it. Like maybe they get, like Mika can call in Dash Deshko one time and like that's a gnarly situation to be in, man. And if you're in low life, then uh, you're probably dead because you're you're really holding that mix up. But what if she got to do it five times? Like that completely changes the character and makes her ridiculous. And some characters have that, so mm-hmm. it doesn't. It it it's not too hard to me to to see them reducing some of these V triggers. And maybe it is damage output or something like that. But just to make the game more about the 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 meat of it instead of this fireworks comeback mechanic at the end. And it's yeah. not every character by any means. And and I, and I really do like where the game is at. There's a it's it's in a really good place, especially relative to where it was. But this is where I would start looking now, if you're going to continue to balance as they are, because we're playing this for at least another year or two, um, start making those ridiculous V-triggers less ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, one of the ways they tried to address that was giving... A bunch of characters more health and stun, and that led us right into Yurian getting 25 more health and 50 (laughs) more stun. I was bitching
0: about this on the morning that that he got it, and I am I am still upset with it now. But I'm glad to hear that you're you're fully on board. At least it sounds like.
1: Yeah, no, this was a character who was at or near the top of the tiers in in Street Fighter Five, and Capcom's like, hey, you know what he really needs extra help, right? Like, let's let's leave this character, like, you know, Minot, eh, like, let's not give her any more health or stun. Dawson, well, they give him a stun buff. Screw that guy. He doesn't need more health. Yurian, let's give him both. And let's make sure he has a lot more stun. because Well, what? they took away his standing fierce punch, man. <sighs> like, he doesn't have anything else that they took away that. I, I i don't get it how do you buff urine how do you look at urine one of the the, the more dominant character characters in tier league rankings throughout the history of this freaking game i can't even talk this is how much urine is driving me crazy <laughs> right now and you look at manat and dulcim and go eh, you know kind of thing like i don't get it i really don't understand um so look this is a character who at higher levels of play, doesn't always do scrubby stuff, but man, do you see a lot of scrubby and under mix ups from this guy? He is notorious for this. This is one of the most scrubby characters in the game. Uh, shout outs to Eurium players if you play him. I understand you don't have to do that stuff, but the fact that you can do that stuff and get by with it really does not feel rewarding again we go back to the robbery and other stuff um this was or a char- like
0: mashing during an online tournament to slow your opponent down
1: <laughs> Oh man. same same boat <laughs> i'm not touching that one so anyway uh, so this is what i would do with urian you you revert his health and stun buffs you take those away and you make his v skills take the two frames longer that they previously took and basically you take away everything that you gave him in season five because it was dumb and you take him back to season four and you say, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Like still you're in, you know what? He's still going to be real good. He's still going to be a good character that you can random people out with. You just don't have way more advantages than you should have given this guy
0: yeah and he's one of those characters that although i wouldn't say this back in season two he does not have a problem um with his v trigger like the ones that i was just talking about he gets to use ages twice but the second time it's less advantageous so really he's getting one strong aegis mix up out of his v trigger activation and then maybe he can earn a second one that sounds good i mean it's really good when he gets it out there and you're really having to hold those blocks and hope that he didn't throw you into it and get into big damage but at least he's only doing it like one and three quarters of a time. Something yeah. along those lines. And I can live with that, especially if you tweak down some of the other BS that he has. And and Urian really has become a character that thrives with... Um, his neutral play, his ability to go in, and then his damage output, and then you tack on V-Trigger as a cherry on top, really is it isn't an issue. And and I think that's worth pointing out here with as heavy as we went in on V-Triggers, or I went in on V-Triggers just now, um, yeah, his is okay. But he does need some tweaks in other areas to really make him uh, fun to play with on the playground.
1: Yeah. So uh, moving off here of the character discussion, I, I will just mention that, the point you brought up of... It's, it's funny how much that we've fallen away from the perspective of never nerf characters, only buff them. Because that was a pretty dominant thought in the FGC. You saw quite quite a few people over a handful of years pretty much express that, like, hey, this is the way to balance these games. Um, and, and it was so much a dominant thought that Haitani even spoke about this, actually, in the latter part of 2019. Uh, still feeling, even back then, that it was an issue that needed to be addressed. And, and Haitani said that, The practice basically doing that, only buffing characters will break the games that we play. Uh, We already know that fighting game balance is really hard to do, really, really hard to do. Um, And sometimes it just makes so much more sense to nerf than it does to buff. And a great example of this is Rashid in season four. It's really hard to try to bring everyone up to his level. You can try. You could try to, you know, bring up everyone to, to Rashid's like season four level, but there's gonna be all these kind of unintended consequences that make the game more robbery. Uh, as we were just talking about, like minimizing these things that that are really unfortunate, like making you know Falk a hardcore robbery character would make people happy, probably for about a month or two, because we'd be seeing a bunch of players and they would be like, oh man. This just makes the game a, a really not fun to play. Like this is all of a sudden a brand new different game that like just forces you into robbery 50/50 situations. Yeah, Omega
0: mode is fun for
1: for a little while, but you don't play that in tournament and there's a reason why. Exactly. And so again, I, I just bring this up because our community really continues to evolve too. It wasn't that long ago that this was the dominant thought of how we should be approaching things. And I think a number of developers listened. I think that's kind of how we've gotten stuck a bit more with Rashid and Akuma here uh, longer than we, we thought we should have, right? Uh, they've tried to accommodate this, but since it hasn't worked out, they've, they've moved on to other methods. And it's generally accepted now that, hey, nerfing characters is a good idea. We don't want to leave these overpowered, robbery-ass Specs alone because it actually just cheapens and kind of ruins the game. And it's good to remember that the community and the developers are learning more about these games as we share and gather knowledge. We know that that from talking with Capcom staff at various events, how heavily, heavily plugged into various community going ons they are. Like, they're they're pretty intimately familiar with our website. Uh, they know what, you know, the top players and personalities are saying on Twitter. This stuff gets back to them. So, you know, when we're parroting this stuff out there and, you know, we're getting better about it, trying to learn more, uh, it's important. And, and so I, I just kind of wanted this as a reminder of like, hey, we are continuing to evolve and grow too. it wasn't that long ago that this was you know something like we were just kind of adamant about like Capcom why are you why did you nerf this character into the ground and all that it's like you know it's it's because we told them to you know so um, I'm, I'm glad to see us kind of growing past some of these these um, problematic approaches that we had previously
0: you know I've always had a little bit of trepidation when it comes to when people say only buff don't nerf and uh, but I think I'm at the point now where I can confidently say that that is a lazy dumb and oversimplified approach What you could achieve by doing that is you could make the entire game more fair. That's a possibility, sure. But when you get past a certain point where characters are too strong, they begin to play one-player games. And then the, the, the nuance of everything comes down to very few if maybe just one interaction depending on how far down this rabbit hole you go if you have Gen that has an infinite with just standing light kick and he can either put you in block stun or hit you um, then it's just as soon as Gen hits that really powerful move this is a reference back to Omega mode in Street Fighter 4 by the way then uh, then it's over with right and, and maybe there's another character that can also do that and then it just becomes who hits the other person with that move first and that is a contest and that is a, you know a manipulation between between two players and a puzzle that has to be solved but a lot of people are not interested in seeing who can score a standing light kick first it's just mm-hmm. it's interesting for 20 minutes and then it's not you know, and and so if, yeah, you could buff everybody to make them you you could make Alex, give Alex as as ridiculous stuff as Rashid like you said, a lot of other problems are going to happen because unforeseen uh, consequences of your tweaking is going to make certain characters even better than you thought, and then, you know even if you have two characters that can do this infinite combo, well then what makes one character better than the other their ability to get it started you know, and so it's like I, I don't know. there's it's very unnuanced, and I think you need to be able to move the needle in either direction. The idea that you just take moving the needle in a certain direction off the table is is stupid to me. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I heavily disagree with only buff or only nerf. I think you need to have all the tools that you can to, to get
1: things as precise as possible. And just because of the show, we're, we're wrong. You know, like uh, this was a, a, a dominant thought. As I said, it's we're going to be wrong. We're going to be wrong on this very podcast. We're going to be wrong in other instances. We're trying to get better and share collective knowledge, get the, a, a good kind of um, collective voice back to Capcom and other fighting game companies on where and how we think that these things should go, you know, and um, you know, it's, they make a mistake and it's not like they can, you know, patch that out, like A day later or something like that i mean you can make some arguments maybe they could but there's you know there's finances and other things to consider we generally get a, a good balance update about you know several months into like any of these major games right like it's about three to six months is what what they do and as a community we've kind of said like hey that's what we want don't tweak it too much you know like give us a chance to kind of come up with organic counters and other things um but but there it is
0: All right, so I wanted to uh, get into this idea that I've been mulling over and um, trying to title it, I've kind of gotten to this, you're not as in control as you think you are while you're playing fighting games. And this has come up to me because I've been playing through the lower ranks and my my new profile and facing off with a lot of rookies, bronze, silvers, golds, and such. And there are some examples that I keep coming across where you see people um, completely give up control because uh, it seems as though it's because this um, fight or flight Uh, A high stakes or heightened stakes scenario pops up and they go into fight or flight mode I should say where they just resort back to more instinctual play to try to get the job done and it's often not very helpful. Um, And so one of the uh, the the obvious examples that I see at the lower levels and by the way this is not just a lower levels thing as we'll get to in, in a little bit but you see players and I'm um, facing off with them and usually I'm rolling through them because I have you know more experience than most of these people and I'll win say like three rounds in a row pretty conclusively and then the fourth round I'll roll along and for whatever reason they'll get some good hits in and we'll get down to a last hit scenario where both of us are just one touch away from victory and it's amazing how consistently at this type of level i'm finding that if i just sit there for sometimes no time at all but give them five seconds or so these players will rip like an exdp from half screen away wow. and you go what is that because all of us who who've you know who've gotten past that level at least can look at that and say well that's goofy that's never going to work or they'll rip an, a super a critical art if they have the meter for it there and, and you go, okay, and then you just walk forward and you tap them with a light punch and it's over and it's very anticlimactic. And I'm like, why is this happening so frequently though? It's definitely a thing and and again I think it's because at this particular level and this varies for every individual once your um, once the stakes feel heightened past a certain point your instinctual play kicks in and you just go back to doing whatever your instincts sort of tell you to do and the more refined your instincts are the better this is going to manifest for you right
1: um, I can give a quick example of this too it's it's a fundamental reason that shimmies work in Street Fighter Five. Mm-hmm. when someone is up in your face you you have to react to it right it's it's real life it's fighting games it's whatever it's like you, you're, you're going to have some reaction and to to not do anything is just like against your very nature and you know we've seen shimmies become the dominant like way of you know dealing with up close pressure uh, a dominant way to apply up close pressure i should say in street fighter 5 just because I, that human desire to just do something to react to it kicks in so hard same thing at the ends of matches Yes, especially for us Street Fighter 4 players with mm-hmm. uh, the option select, so oh, we got man. real used to teching. So
0: yeah. Uh, that's a thing too. And actually, that's one of the examples that comes later on that's a little bit less evident, but but somewhat more evident at that level. But um, you can even back up a little bit further. If you've ever been at like a party where people that don't play Street Fighter or don't play fighting games for whatever reason jump on and start playing and they've never touched the game before, what happens? They mash. And when you get into high stakes settings, so like it's the end of the round, what do they do? They just mash even harder. And the reason why is because that's their instinctual play coming up, where they just know that pushing buttons makes the character do moves and that can potentially empty the opponent's life bar and that's about the level of resolution that they're at when they're approaching all of this. Now fast forward to maybe around the bronze level, you know how powerful a DP is and and, and you know that it's got invincible frames and that it's fast and that it can win if if it's if it's faced up against most other attacks and so that's about the level of where your instinctual reactions tend to go around that um, that rank so to speak uh, but it, it continues to to uh, to grow and, and and you can continue to manipulate that um, now the interesting thing is the instincts and the what would you say like more the the cognizant intent they want the same thing right they want to win um, but it's just that you as you see these these kind of tactics that an instinctual play will bring up are just not efficient and um, Let's see, so I wanted to kind of explore when you're uh, in these scenarios, like what is it? What are some of the things that cause you to go into fight or flight instinctual mode? And it's when your life is really low because you're you're risking losing like there's the loss or hell is in your you know right behind you or when your opponent's life is really low you have you get excited and the opportunity to close out the round and win or there's like that, that heaven right in front of you right and so whenever you're in close proximity to either of those uh, you're going to have the stakes raised and you risk going into that mode and if they're both close at the same time even more of uh, of of that kind of uh, potential is right there now, it's possible also to to overcorrect. When you start to think about these things and you get a little further down your own path and your own journey, you might be aware in these scenarios that you know, before I used to jump forward. Oh, by the way, jumping forward, so good, right? On the instinctual level, it gets you out of your opponent's red zone where they could tag you with a normal. It's also the hardest hitting sort of combo setup that you can do, because you essentially get to tack on a fierce or a roundhouse to the beginning of your combo. It's clear why that's an alluring thing, especially at certain levels. I mean, I still jump when I don't want to jump because of how, how alluring it is, but that goes to show you how not in control you actually are because uh, as, as good as that is, we all also very much know, especially those of us that have been playing against Monop players frequently in recent times, you know, when you jump forward, you're also releasing your ability or you're giving up your ability to block for like, what is it, two seconds all yeah. the time that you're in the air? You can see why it feels like this really strong attack that you might resort to. Um, so as you go down the line... You, you begin to adjust, and it's easy to overcorrect, like I was getting at. You can uh, you can be aware of all these things. So you get into that last-hit scenario, and maybe you just down back, or you walk yourself to the corner, and you never take the risk, right? Mm-hmm. Because you never want to push the button. So it's it's easy to overcorrect, but of course you can't win if you don't ever, ever do the attack. Um, and so... There tend to be two ways that I see that you can approach to try to fix this. One is to refine your instincts, and that's just through practice and exposure. Uh, as we know, at first when you're doing things like DPs uh, as an anti-air, you have to think about it, and you have to like really train yourself into it. But you get to a place where you don't have to think about it hardly at all, and it just becomes a reactionary thing that you actually want to be part of your reactionary uh, processes. The other thing is to train with intent to get these habits in there. There are some exercises you can use to uh, try to refine this, and that would be like see how long you can go without jumping forward, see how much pressure you can take without teching, you know, and really force yourself to take certain options off the table. Temporarily, You would never do them conclusively as we, uh, as we talked about earlier. But take these options that you keep resorting to off of the table so that your instincts can see and feel what it's like when you don't use them because some of the times you're gonna lose, right? Sometimes you, maybe you're not trying to tech at all and you get thrown to death and that sucks. But maybe you were really wanting to tech and you didn't and that was the right answer. And then your body gets to see that and you make these little connections like the neural pathways where you've convinced your instinctual side that this can work, and it can become more nuanced, and then you know it becomes more and more of a reality when you fall into these scenarios. So, you know, for Tokido, if he jumps into uh, just a whatever turn, if he were to enter Wednesday Night Fights and get to Grand Finals, I don't think he would ever enter Fight or Flight mode, right? Because he's been up there on the Evo Grand Stage and everything, but for those of us that haven't, maybe it's when you play against a player that's better than you, higher ranked online, maybe it's when you're entering a tournament match, maybe it's when you're playing on stream, maybe it's when you go to Evo and and play a match there something along those lines but you continue to expose yourself to these high pressure situations you continue to raise your own tolerance bar for when you go into fight or flight mode and you continue to refine your fight or flight mode scenarios and uh, that's a way you can gain more control over what you do and um, stop feeling so stupid for teching when they shimmy in front of you or for jumping at a dumb time or for blowing your entire critical art when you know you shouldn't have Mm -hmm. and ultimately get more wins.
1: Yeah, I, I do take one issue here with something you said, and that's uh, you, know, you you don't see Tokido do this. No, you do. Uh, you see it with Tokido, Fudo, Daigo, Punk, uh, Idom, wh- whoever you want to put up there. Uh, the mental guard break is a human nature thing, you know, and you cannot ever get away from it completely. But what those pros have done is they, they've mitigated it heavily where you rarely see them have a gigantic mental guard break, but we just saw both Fudo and, and Daigo actually have one, uh, at the, you know, the grand finals and the, the CPT online, uh, um, yep. you know, uh, Asia tournament. Um, daigo was able to recover a lot faster where where fudo's plagued him for about a round and a half and that round and a half was all daigo needed to win the the, the tournament and and you know uh and then uh, there's that momentum thing yeah and i mean we we saw uh fudo and his wife like crying afterwards because of how broken they were you know from that uh the loss and then i'm sure you know fudo felt the that he crumbled you know there at the end and it's just it's like It's there. There are heavy stakes up there. And my whole point of saying this, though, is that like it's a what is it? Not how hard you get knocked down. It's like how many times you get back up. Right. It's you're going to face this. But the whole thing about it is just like realize it's a very human thing. It's a very normal thing. It's just about trying to train yourself that to be better the next time around. All right, y'all, that's going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And for those of you who are a fan of YouTube and video, you might want to stay tuned to the podcast in the reasonably near future because we might have a little surprise for you. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that. There you go. All right. (laughs) We'll see you guys soon.